Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me, as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Story. Today, we're going to be reviewing Captain America, the Winter Soldier, stepping back into the MCU. This is uh, the next Phase 2 film of, of the MCU. But first, before we kind of get into this... Everybody doing okay? Like, what? What are we? What are we sort of? Uh, what? What's kind of on the horizon for us? Uh, kind of in the, the rest of January, and going into February, we think. What about you, Liz? Uh, well, just doing a little stand up here and there. I have about twelve shows this uh, this month, so. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. Yeah, twelve in one month, so that's that's multiple per week, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, how about how about you, Zach? Uh, how's how's the uh, job hunt going? Job hunt's going well. Still sending out those uh, resumes, uh, working on some cover letters, and uh, refining the resume a bit today. Gotten some responses. Not entirely happy with the uh, companies that are working on that, but hey, you know, always worth listening to anyone that's uh, sending replies. I have a suggestion for your resume mm-hmm. and add to your resume. Fair enough. Yes. Add sexy beast and will be sugar baby. Bosses like that. Uh, I was thinking about the sugar baby thing, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, f- I was trying to find a way that sounded slightly more professional. Oh, okay. Uh, glucose child, perhaps. <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah, it's very clinical. Very clinical. Yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've been good as well. Uh, looks like I'm going to be working on the uh, the the documentary. I'm going to be doing crew work for the documentary of the last tour of the B-52s, which I love Ooh. B-52s. They're one of, they're one of my Ooh. favorite bands. And so i got to be able to, uh, this coming week up in Athens, Georgia, going to be kind of working on that project. So. That's that'll, awesome. that'll definitely be an, be an exciting thing to kind of work on as well. So very cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I, let's just let's just jump right on in. Let's go ahead and start talking about Captain America: Winter Soldier. I know that's that's why we're here. That's why we're listening to this podcast. So <laughs> we're not gonna fuck around anymore. Uh, spoilers start here for Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and we're gonna start by talking about me, Sam Wilson. Oh, yeah, that's a different Sam Wilson, <laughs> but there is also we start off this movie with the, the kind of great jogging sequence. We see Sam jogging at a pretty good pace, and then we see Steve Rogers just completely overtake him. You know, doing just these marathon sprints as he does as as the super soldier who does it. You know, has as a ridiculous metabolism. You know, that great on your left uh, line that he keeps he keeps throwing out. But what do we we think of the introduction for Sam in this movie and kind of the, the this sort of budding friendship that Sam and Steve kind of develop over the course of this movie. Yeah, it's honestly my favorite parts of the movie, that and Black Widow. Mm-hmm. I love the humor. The the slight humor, it's cute. Kind of draws you in. One thing that I love is that immediately the relationship is based on Sam just kind of seeing Steve as a person. You know, he's not, oh, he's Captain America. He's completely amazing. He's not looking down or up at him, he's just like, yeah, you were also a soldier too, and your circumstances were, you know, maybe a bit more extreme, but you're kind of going through the same shit that I was going through, and ah, I just just love the very human connection that they have right off the bat, and it's a great friendship. Um, Their chemistry is fantastic. I agree, but I also think that there's this moment where Sam is like, fuck, I can't can't pass up this opportunity to be bros with Captain America type (laughs) of thing. It's like, if Steve is about to leave, and then, like, Sam kind of says something to draw him back in, it's like, no... I got yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta take advantage of this situation, you know, type of thing. And and he does manage to ingratiate himself enough to to Steve that Steve does visit him 
at the VA's office. And like, it almost comes across as a little bit forced the way that Sam gets drawn into the group. But at the same time, like there is this thing of like, especially with Steve and Natasha, like once they know that they really can't trust any of their kind of professional contacts, it's like, well, there's this guy I kind of know over here. With like, I know he's not a Hydra agent. I'm pretty sure he's not. So <laughs> like, let's go. You know, he has nothing to do with S.H.I.E.L.D., so the, 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 the chances of him being a, a bad guy are pretty much nil, so let's let's go crash with him. But yeah, I, I really do like Sam in this movie. I, I like him kind of going into the, sort of the, his backstory as, as a pararescue. We we assume that he's a pilot. We find out that he's actually, uh, you know, he has a little wingsuit and everything. I do think it's kind of funny that... Uh, the, the movie kind of glosses over the fact that they apparently went on some kind of mission to uh, uh but to like like steal uh Sam's old wingsuit but it's like nah it's, it's fine it's like it's not really important <laughs> just assume that that succeeds <laughs> exactly so yeah overall a great a great character introduction Anthony Mackie is great and it's 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 a good it's a good intro to this character uh, overall. Uh, the movie, the first big kind of set piece is is this kind of boat rescue sequence where the, you've got this boat that's been hijacked by these pirates and Steve has to, you know, get dr- dropped in and basically take them down one by one, which I think is just a really great, you know, really visceral action sequence. It immediately tells you that this is a different tone from the first Captain America movie. The way he just so, you know, efficiently just systematically takes down these guys. Um, I think j- just from a fight choreography standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint, is, is just really, really cool. And, and I, I always stood out as a sequence that, that really draws me in every time I watch this film. Hard agree. It also does a pretty good job of showing immediately that S.H.I.E.L.D. is a far cry from the type of organizations the Capwood is working to, that they are much closer uh, to... It's a good hint that the, there's all is not quite right with S.H.I.E.L.D. First of all, the whole assignment is... Much more tactical, much more vicious. Um, even Stillwell signs saying, yep, they don't negotiate. Is just cold um, is the best way to describe how most of the other agents are acting at any given time. Fantastic way of starting this out. Steve is a superhero. Why is he going to go take down pirates? It's just a, It's just that it was happening in society at that time where we were having the problem with the pirates, you know, President Obama versus the pirates, and then we ha- mm-hmm. we took Steve against the pirates. I, I don't know. Yeah, good I mean, way to okay, get the movie okay, started. Well, well, but here's the thing: was like, sure, he's a superhero. But he's also a super soldier. He is a soldier. Yeah, like, but what the hell? What the hell is Captain America going to be doing with himself when there's not aliens going around? It's like there's no super villains right now. So like, this is the kind of mission that it's he would be overkill. going on. It's overkill. <laughs> they had I don't no know. Like, I think that no is a super villain from the comics. That's that's the thing. The but, thing. Like, he I is think fighting a super villain. Super I mean, he's not quote, like the most impressive super villain. One. In quote, he is a low. He is a low level villain like he is a low level yeah. villain but it's also the fact that like yeah like this isn't something we'd be sending the Hulk to, to go do or something like that no, but, like, they said but... they sent Captain America to do it because like he is a very capable superhero but he's also in some ways a relatively low level superhero yeah, in, that's, in, in that's some ways what I feel it's it's like give it to Captain America 
but that but that's okay but he's also the he has the right skill set for this particular mission because like you send yeah. these other guys like this what what nick fury says is like i sent the best soldier in history to make sure that you know not the hostages died like sure like just a strike team could have done it but they might have lost some hostages because they because mm-hmm. they're not as efficient they're not as fast it's like Captain America was the right guy to do this. And I I like the fact that this movie is also more like grounded and more street level and more yeah. like like I I I like that about this movie. I think that helps to differentiate it because it's also like look, it, it differentiates it from the type of assignment that Captain America would be going on solo versus something you would send the Avengers for. You wouldn't send the Avengers for something like this, but that's what makes the Avengers more special as a team, I feel like, <laughs> is that there's it's it's a next level up for something that you would send the full team to do as opposed to what you would send Captain America to go do. I think they send Hawkeye for this one. <laughs> Hawkeye could do this. I mean, I love Hawkeye. Like, Hawkeye could have done this too, but I'm just... Honestly, I feel like that's a coin cost between... Coin cost? <laughs> coin toss. Good lord. I'm doing... I don't know why I keep flipping words recently. Yeah. But coin toss that Fury did for himself is like, alright, who am I sending on this mission? Cap or Hawkeye? <laughs> All right, <laughs> but but it also makes sense. It's like you say you send Captain America to save the hostages because that's what he cares about doing, and then you send Black Widow to get the data because that's yeah, more in her wheelhouse. That makes like, sense. I think the yeah. mission makes sense, and I, I think like sending Cap on the mission Widow in this sense. movie. I really like yeah. the oh, use yeah. of Black she's, Widow she's in this movie. Extremely well. No, no, she does, and and and. Yeah, I mean, this little fight between Cap and Batroc, like, it's, again, I, I agree with, like, I, I get you using supervillain in quotes, Liz, when you talk about Batroc, yeah. because, like, he is a very low level. It's like, he, he's one of those, like, he he thinks he's this big badass villain, but <laughs> Cap really doesn't break that much of a he's, sweat. With the he's basically ass. Cap's stilt man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, his whole thing is being the leaper, but, like, even Cap, like, actually, I think, does a more impressive flip when he defeats him. <laughs> I feel that uh, we yeah. actually see Batroc do. It's like, okay, so Cap is actually better at Batroc at doing the thing that Batroc is known for doing. So, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's just some good leaps. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also get the introduction of Alexander Pierce, who's the Robert Redford character. Yeah. I like the fact that the movie keeps us guessing because, like, he feels like such an obvious villain, and obviously he is the villain. But then they throw these things in that make you think, oh, wait, is he actually a red herring? Wait, maybe he is the bad guy. No, he's actually a red herring. Oh, wait, no, he. So by the time we find out that he is the villain, it still comes across as a twist, even though he feels so obvious at the same time. Like, did, like, yeah. I don't know. Did, did, did you guys have that experience? the first time you watched this because I, I kept going back and forth the first time I watched this movie honestly. I did, yeah. Robert Redford was a good casting choice just because he's extremely charming um, even the whole way through he's his philosophy is everything ugly but the whole time you're like, oh this almost seems reasonable coming from this guy until you think about it for five seconds. It's like, no wait, that's not reasonable. God. <laughs> yeah, and it really is the delivery of that speech of like sometimes to make a newer world you have to tear the old one down which is such a super villain speech but he delivers it so earnestly and so charmingly <laughs> that it's just like oh yeah, maybe, maybe so. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I knew he was going to be a villain but I did like how the they were going back and forth with him. I yeah. really did. 
Maybe no, may, no, no may, yeah, that's the yeah, thing. No, it's like it, it made you wonder sometimes because again, I feel like in a different movie he would have also been a good red herring villain yes. to like set him mm-hmm. up as the obvious villain. And again, the fact that it seemed like it was going to be that like it almost actually went in the opposite direction of it. He became the red herring, thinking he's not going to be the villain. Even like the lines like after Nick Fury's apparent death, where he, he he's like, you know, somebody murdered my friend, and if anybody stands in my way, it's like you know that actually could be a motivation if he's actually not the villain but you know but it's, so, so they, they did a good job of keeping us on our toes with that I feel like overall hmm. I do think that Robert Redford brought a lot of charisma to this even if by his own admission like I remember like Robert Redford was was in an interview where he was like yeah I didn't like understand what was going on for half the script or like what, what the fuck I was saying <laughs> for most of the dialogue I was just <laughs> maybe that's yeah. why it was so good <laughs> yeah I really didn't know what was going on I didn't get the rest of the script but you know yeah. I did my lines. <laughs> they didn't even tell me if I was a villain or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Half At the some time point I, I get I shot. Was. I don't. I don't know if I deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that he. I think he understood the, the the essence of the character in his kind of relation to what was going on with the other characters well enough to to right. d- deliver the performance that he needed to perform. I just hmm. think the intricacies of the plot I think went over his head a little bit from what I understand. Yeah. But he, he was able to make the character feel extremely earnest. Yeah. Yeah. He overall was was a really good kind of add to this movie as well. Uh, and also the use of Nick Fury in this movie. I think this is. This movie uses Nick really, really well uh, as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the whole debate that Cap and Fury have over like whether you use the helicarriers towards the beginning of the movie because like it's one of those things where they're having the, this interesting argument where. Even as someone who's watching the movie, I'm like, I honestly see both sides of this type of thing. You know, like, like I don't think I, either of them is, is entirely wrong, which I think was, is what kind of makes it an interesting thing. You know, the, the, the whole thing about not wanting to, you know, end a war before it starts, you know, like, like I, I love that the elevator scene where Fury is kind of telling him the story of his, his, his granddad, you know, the elevator operator yeah. too. I think that, that that was a really cool kind of little glimpse into Fury's kind of backstory and just, just well delivered. Mm-hmm by Samuel Jackson as well. Yeah, I I overall think he was used extremely well. Um, It does a good job of having you root for Fury. You like him. You're sad when he appears to die. You're glad when he's back. But also, you get why Cap feels that he's wrong for much of this. And But you do get where Fury's coming from. You have massive threats, um, like the whole, you know, Loki situation that came up. You know, all of the Avengers that came when they first appeared came as a big surprise. And so you get why he wants to advance so much, but also, you know, obviously a solution was insane. It's like, no, you can't just. It's the classic. And I mean, the whole thing is kind of a reflection on the whole war on terror. It's like, we got attacked. We feel bad about it. We're overreacting massively in attempts to police the entire world. And failing to see how that makes us the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I I love uh the Nick Fury sequences. I think that he's underused wherever he is. I mean, I have a fever and there's only one solution and that's more Nick Fury. You know, so <laughs> he has more screen time in this than he does, he does. in most Marvel movies. And I, I, I think that in my opinion, I think that 
probably this movie and Avengers one, I think are the ones where he's used best. Like I think he, he, mm-hmm. he has, he has, I think the correct amount of screen time for me in this. And to me, like the absolute standout scene with Nick in this movie is that car chase sequence, uh, where he's being attacked by, you know, the fake cops and, you know, having to drive that kind of high tech, you know, SUV, except all the actually useful systems are broken by the time right. he, uh, he gets attacked and everything. But I think it's just a really, really cool action sequence, like kind of in the middle of this movie. It that, is. That really focuses mm-hmm. on Nick Fury. Yeah. You know, it, it's always been a standout for me in this film. I will also say I find it kind of hilarious but amazing that Nick Fury's version of the classic spy car is a massive SUV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you want you want something that's got a little muscle behind it that you can, like, just yeah. plow through some other cars when you need to. So That's, like, that's the point. It's, it's not very much for subtlety. <laughs> yeah. I'll take the beast, thank you. That's what they named uh President Obama's limo, the beast. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My only issue with this car chase sequence is the very end of it, and it's such a nitpick with the movie, and it's one that I actually don't really have a solution to, but the way Nick Fury escapes by carving a hole in the ground and escaping yes. into the sewers, the way it's presented in the movie is it seems like he's done this like seconds before uh, the Winter Soldier rips the car door open. Nick Fury could have got more than a few feet away down there. Why doesn't the Winter Soldier yeah. jump in the hole behind him and just shoot him there? Like, I've always <laughs> felt that way. It's like, what wait. What is the Winter Soldier's prime uh, directives? Is that you cannot get the suit too dirty? It is not machine that washable. That makes sense. Uh, you that know makes what? sense. You know what, Zach? You might have closed that pothole for yeah. me. So, <laughs> so any attempt to like go into a sewer system is mm, no. That's yeah. <laughs> when they had him under hypnosis one time, they were like, "Could you come back with the suit a little cleaner?" I'm so fucking tired of cleaning this suit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! It's so hypnosis. hard to wash. I gotta say, it's like. You can't, you can't wash it. You can't, you can't dry clean it. Really, like you kind of just have to get like a sponge and just yeah, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop getting it so dirty. Too much blood yeah. on it. But again, even even as I make that note, like I don't have a solution to it because I think that any more realistic uh, escape would have just slowed the pacing of the scene in the movie t- down too much. It's it's one of those things. It's a comic like, book movie. Is it? Yeah, it's a comic book movie, exactly. And and to be honest, it is a cool reveal of the hole in the ground and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why I ultimately accept it. It just, it's one of those things that as I've rewatched the movie, I've thought about, it's like, this really doesn't make any sense. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's a comic book escape. <laughs> uh, what about his, his apparent death and then reveal that he's alive? I mean, this, this is like, I kind of the fake death, not death thing is definitely a trope in, in these movies. Uh, do you think this one overall worked for you or no, or were, did, are you kind of in the middle on it? Do you think? You know, usually I would say, why are you revealing it in the same movie? And I usually bitch about that. But it's Nick Fury. Nick Fury, mm-hmm. his his spirit animal is a possum. He's always playing dead. And then all of a sudden, gotcha, bitch! <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just his character. So I buy it. And that's the only reason why I buy it. But I can guarantee if it was anybody else, I would be over here huffing and puffing and bitching and wondering why. Why did they do it in the same movie? I would have also bought either Black Widow or Steve dying at some point during the film. If only because 
Now, to be fair, the MCU is much better about this than other adaptations, but there is quite an issue of superhero stories kind of giving death a revolving door. Yeah. But again, the MCU is actually much better about that yeah. than most versions. I would say the characters in the MCU that, that kind of fall victim to that are Nick Fury and especially Loki. Loki does have a bit of a death revolving door. But again, mm-hmm. those are that kind of the characters where it makes yeah. the, the sense to kind of do that, you know, so... I, I kind of agree. Like, I think because it's Fury and because of the overall deception of it, and like, I think that it does work. And I think the reveal that he's alive in the same movie, I think in this case, actually makes more sense it given does. the overall <laughs> story of this movie. That he he had to kind of take himself out for uh, temporarily, and, so that he could then surprise Pierce at the end. So it, it's one of those things. Like, is his kind of resurrection a little bit predictable? Maybe. I it actually kind of semi caught me the first time i watched the movie but at the same because like fury is one of those characters who theoretically could be on the chopping block like you figure steve and natasha are pretty much safe you know this this early on in the series but fury is one of those characters who could potentially be on the chopping block yeah but i overall like the you know his apparent death and the reveal that he is actually alive i think that it works overall because, again, that is kind of who Fury is. He he is the character who always wants to know a little bit more than everybody else. And, and, and I think, like, taking himself out of the equation, including even fooling the people close to him, I think was 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 a big part of that plan for him. So I, I think that it, it ultimately it works. And I just love the scene in the climax where he does reveal himself to be alive uh, to Pierce and then uses his dead eye under the uh, eye patch in order to activate the retina scan i think it's just such a cool moment you know oh absolutely banger of a line too <laughs> yeah uh then we get this whole thing where uh, steve kind of goes uh on on the run uh from shield again talking about there's there's just so many cool really uh so many really excellent and cool action sequences just throughout this entire movie the elevator fight sequence so good like just just the setup of you know people keep getting out to the elevator he's observing everybody he's like okay something's not quite right you know that guy has his hand on his gun that guy's sweating over there and he, he just i I love that he knows what's about to happen yeah. before it happens. Before we you get know. started. <laughs> yeah, before, yeah. It's actually, it's probably one of my favorite Captain America scenes, to be it's, honest. It's amazing. It's really good. Also love that uh, last line. It's like, oh, yeah, no, it feels like it's personal. <laughs> yeah, it feels kind of personal. It's like, <laughs> I know, because you always hear it's not personal. But, I mean, you're trying to kill me. It's pretty personal. <laughs> You just, yeah. you just got, like, nine guys in an elevator right? to try and kill me. Yeah. It's like, whether the person who's trying to kill you thinks it's personal from their perspective, if somebody's trying to kill you, it feels pretty personal yeah. to the person who's trying to yeah. get killed. Like, I mean, it's it's not like they got a grenade or something where, you know, that's basically to whom it may concern, you know? It's exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you, drop, you drop a bomb on my city, that fucking sucks, but it's like, I can buy that not being personal. It's like, okay, you're yeah. trying to kill me specifically, but... You know, <laughs> yeah. You got eighteen people in an elevator and a cattle prod. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my rule. <laughs> yeah, I really love this section. This movie, it still is a superhero movie, but I love how much of it feels like more of that action adventure thriller. You know, much more. 
James Bond Mission Impossible almost in some ways. Yeah, it is kind of a spy thriller. It's always kind of a political thriller, too, in a way. Like, But it, 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 is, it is much more of a spy movie. And like, I think that that's what helped to kind of differentiate it from the first movie yes. and from other movies in this universe. Like, It's a very tonally different film from, from the first Captain America movie. And that's why I, I honestly far prefer this film over the first film. And I do enjoy the first movie, but I, th- this, this one, to me, just blew it out of the water. And a lot of it is that, that kind of spy movie tone. I just really kind of dug that a lot you know i i love seeing steve and natasha kind of go on on the run together you know we were talking about black widow's overall usage in the film like i think i actually agree with you is i think that she is very well used in this film and i i like seeing the developing of that kind of partnership between steve and 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 natasha uh as they kind of go on the run together and as they're they're kind of trying to investigate uh together as well i love the goddamn moment when steve goes back the hospital trying to find the hard drive and you know it's like oh my god where is it then you know Tasha's just right behind him blowing gum it's like you know telling him basically without telling him (laughs) exactly (laughs) that was an interesting hiding spot on Steve's part it's like I've got to put it in the vending machine behind the bubble gum it's like you know nobody nobody chews bubble gum it's fine on the (laughs) one hand it is very unlikely that you know Hydra slash shield would figure out it's there on the other hand, some rando is just going to get a hard drive and be like, all right. Exactly. I'm just going yeah, to download tunes on here. All right. Score. <laughs> also, I, I actually really like the scene when they're in the mall and they're in the Apple store together. It's like the one the one Apple Jesus is like, oh, yeah, where are you thinking about going on your honeymoon? And then like the, the trace is finished at that moment. Uh, New Jersey. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not a traditional honeymoon destination, but, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. The comedy really <laughs> saves this movie. Well, there's nothing to save the movie. I think this is probably, like you said, I think this is probably the best Captain America movie mm-hmm. out of all three of them. And that's saying yeah. something for me because you know how I feel about Captain America. But I think this is the best form of Captain America for me. And of course, uh, on, well, during their investigation, Steve and Natasha kind of go to sort of the underground bunker on the old base where Steve used to be trained back in the 40s. And they find out Arnim Zola is alive and he uploaded his consciousness to a computer system and Lucky uh, fucker. decided mm-hmm. to explain exactly what's going on, which this is one of those things that wouldn't have worked if not for the lie. Is like, I'm afraid I have been stalling. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. he's stalling for time by just explaining the evil plot you know it's like it's whatever yeah. but this sequence felt always felt a little odd to me it's like okay so they spent an incredible amount of money and time making an ai using like you know 50s esque technology then they decide that this is somehow worth blowing up using a cruise missile instead of like sending a team to attack them it feels odd and also it feels odd that zola as an AI, is content with being preserved and or wanted to be preserved, but apparently just doesn't care about the fact that he's going to die again. I don't know, just that whole attitude that both Zola and Hydra have towards casually blowing him up again feels very odd to me. 
Huh. I don't know. I, I think that the idea is that from Hydra's perspective, this the, I, I think the usefulness of the Zola computer has kind of finished itself, and it's it's just right. been sitting in this this dusty basement. It probably hasn't been used in decades at this point. It, it's one of those things like, oh, they've hmm. accessed the Zola computer. Oh shit, I totally forgot that was down there. Ah, uh, just blow it up. It's fine. We don't need it anymore. That was that was kind of how I felt about it. How you are know? we gonna get this exposition out in an entertaining way? Oh, let's do a steampunk nazi machine and then blow the <laughs> shit out of it everybody loves entertaining exposition and there's nothing we love more than blowing up nazis exactly yeah. <laughs> no, I, I i get that perspective zach but like again it, it worked for me because i i do think that the zola computer was kind of a relic of an yeah. earlier version of hydra that hydra no longer needed and hydra is ruthless right. enough that it's 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 willing to chop off its own you know metaphorical tentacles for you know yeah. to, to kind of preserve their secrets or whatever and i feel like if zola is uploaded to one machine he's probably uploaded to another that's possible if they ever um, need to bring I, him back i, I always got the, the sense this was kind of the main sort of mainframe of Zola um, that that, he, that this was kind of the, his final, you know, yeah. sort of... I, with that said, I do think it would have been entertaining if at some point they found... That he'd uploaded himself to a smaller device, and then they just keep it around as some sort of bitchy Tamagotchi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shut up, or I'm not going to feed you your Tamagotchi flakes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I actually my only issue with this scene is I feel like the survival of Steve and Natasha always felt a little too easy in a weird way. They oh they just yeah, jumped into right. the grate. But again, it's it's the similar type of thing of like the Nick Fury's escape from that that car sequence. It's like I don't really have a better solution to this. You know, like I th I think it overall still works. And I I actually respect the fact that they didn't just send another team because it's one of those things. Like, look, how many teams of armed goons can you send after Captain America just to have that have him kick their asses before you kind of learn your lesson just blow them up like i actually admire hydra for doing that i was like just just missile right. just blow them up it's fine i i looked it up and apparently uh zola in the in the comics eventually becomes modok yeah huh. a killing machine so i don't think they're going that route in the mcu but it's always yeah, open. Yeah, they haven't really, like, there was a recent animated series with MODOK, but they haven't really been doing anything really with, with MODOK so far in the MCU. Yeah. Like, there have been, I don't yeah. know. Well, you know, any, even a, like, five-second look at his design tells you he's a very strange character to bring in, yeah. so. Yeah. He doesn't fit in this world. Yeah, not not quite. Maybe another it, universe, but it, it takes some finessing. Yeah. Um, like, I was never a Modok fan. Like I, I know some people. Yeah. Like like I know Modok gets used in a lot of uh, like other adaptations of animated video game adaptations, stuff like that. But I, I was never a fan of Modok. I, I always thought Modok was just very goofy. And yeah, just, uh, I always felt Modok was a was a plot device. Something yeah, to bring mm -hmm. in that's entertaining to get something done. So uh, I want to kind of talk about the Winter Soldier, you know, kind of the title character of, of, the, of this particular installment. I think, like, Sebastian Stan, even before the reveal that he's Bucky, just does a really good job of bringing this really intimidating physicality to, to the Winter Soldier. Like, anytime you get that glimpse of his eyes and just that, that intensity, that, that focus on just on, on his mission and everything, you know, the moment where he catch, catches the shield, I think, is really cool. Um, and I, they did a good job of kind of building up that mystique around the Winter Soldier to the point where that reveal, e even if you are familiar with the, the comics character and know that it is Bucky, like, the reveal still feels impactful. 
um, I think by, by the time it kind of comes around, because like I did go into this movie for the first time knowing that it was Bucky, but I still think that it's 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 still a very powerful reveal overall. But uh, any thoughts on on kind of the Winter Soldier uh, in in the reveal that he is Bucky in this film? I agree. He's an extremely intimidating presence. I genuinely like what uh, Sebastian Stan was bringing to him to the way he moved, fought. I love his overpowering fighting style where Steve is, you know, he has the super soldier serum. And at times, like when he's chasing after Bucky that first time, and he's just smashing through walls and down corridors, you get that impression. It's like, oh, right. He's, you know, basically built like a freight train. But Bucky as the Winter Soldier is that all the time, just constantly overpowering force. Um, and that, you know, makes for, an, you know, especially effective. I wouldn't even say side villain. Yeah, villain, basically. Although antagonist is probably more accurate in this case, since he's essentially just more or less just a gun that moves, or at least that's how Pierce and Hydra thought of him. I, I've always viewed Pierce as being the main villain of this film yeah. for, for me. I, I've always viewed, like, to, to me, like, Winter Soldier is, is he, he, he is a tool. He is like an unwitting kind of weapon being used, but I have seen Winter Soldier defined as being the, the villain of this film, but I've, I've always kind of viewed Pierce as being the, the main actual villain of this film for me, but. Yeah, Winter Soldier is, is a tool in this film, and I, I do concede to that um i think they missed their opportunity at that fight scene with all the clashing and and breaking and 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 fighting for it to end in like an aggressive sex scene i i think they missed that opportunity because i mean they were breathing we heavy. all wanted to see you know him use the arm for choking yes like we, we definitely had, choking or i assume we all yeah, did i don't yeah. know <laughs> steve going tighter tighter <laughs> I absolutely hate Civil War. Absolutely hate Civil War. They didn't take a different direction. It was obvious that they were going to go in that direction with Civil War after this movie. It really was. But this movie defeats a lot of my argument for, for Civil War, and I'm just standing there going, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. <laughs> But they, they do a really good job at tracking that he isn't willingly doing these, that he is controlled, that uh, the Winter Soldier is just a tool that Hydra has been using over all of these years, you know, but... I'm just upset that it didn't end. I, I am grateful that at the end of, of Endgame, Steve was able to go back through time and find Bucky and live out his, live out his life with Bucky, mm -hmm. uh, until he got old, until they both got old and they both died. So I am grateful for that. Yeah, okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to, here's, here's what I'm going to say about, and we, we've touched on this, but I, I wanted to like continue to touch on, on the whole thing about, you know, is Steve's quote unquote true love Bucky it's or Bucky. Peggy type of thing. <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. I understand why people feel that way but i think that the thing that we have to also understand is the reason steve is willing to go to such lengths to save bucky or to, to kind of reconnect with bucky is bucky is all steve has left 
from his previous life. And I think that, that that's the, the main thing. To, like, we see one scene where he's he's with Peggy in this movie, but Peggy's 90 years old, 95 years old, whatever. And she's, and she's, she's dying. frankly not all there and anymore. She's, she's dying. She's not all there anymore. She has dementia or something. He's basically already lost any chance of a life with Peggy, and he knows he's probably about to lose Peggy pretty soon, um, that, that, she, that she's on her way out at this point. So Bucky is all Steve has left from his previous life. And I, I think that... If it had been Peggy, he would have done the same thing with, with Peggy that he does with Bucky as far as, like, trying to go after her and trying to save her. If Pe- if Peggy had been some kind of brainwashed super soldier or whatever, like... If it had been Howard. <laughs> if it had been Howard. <laughs> if it had been fucking Dub Dub Dugan, for Christ's sake. I mean, it's... I, I mean, but Bucky Honestly, is... Yeah, his, no, it, Bucky, Bucky is his best friend. I think Bucky is his soulmate. I'm not saying lover. I'm not saying lover, so I don't want you to feel that way. I'm saying soulmate. Bucky is his soulmate. Now, I I really do believe that they wanted to, you know, trade each other's D for each other. But I I think that they were soulmates. And I I don't don't buy the Peggy thing. I don't buy the Peggy thing. Uh, For Steve, Peggy is what could have been, and we always glorify what could have been. No, I actually think that that's a fair argument. I actually do think that's a fair argument, because I have always had that thing of, like, with with Steve and Peggy, of, does he even know if this this relationship would have worked out in the long term type of thing? Yeah. Like, so it's one of those things, like... When I see the overall arc of all the movies together and the end of Endgame, like by by the end of it, I ultimately do buy the love story of Steve and Peggy. But I feel like with Steve and Bucky, again, it is more so the fact that Bucky is the only connection he has to his old wife. Right. He's lost everything except he finds out that there's a chance he could have his best friend back. And but but that's but that's the only thing he has left from from that old life. And I I think that that's more what it is more than anything I else. I get that argument, but. I actually agree, if only because one thing that's made pretty clear in this movie, and it's an arc that was continuing over pretty much every Captain America film, and one that I actually find pretty interesting, is that Steve is deeply, horrifically depressed throughout this movie. Um, He deals with it in a manner that makes it seem as though he's not. He keeps going on missions, uh, takes that, he reaches out to people, but... When he's discuss when he's discussing what does he want to do, what makes him happy, he has no answer. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't have anything that makes him happy. He doesn't have any actual connections. And I'm really glad that he meets up with Sam Wilson in this mm-hmm. film and yeah. starts that friendship because good lord, he desperately needed one. Um Natasha is up until a certain point. At some point, it becomes a genuine friendship. But for most of this, it's kind of a work friend thing. He is deeply depressed and he doesn't have much that he's sticking around for. Yeah. But he's still around. Um, so, yeah, I completely buy your argument that one of the reasons he's holding on to Bucky so hard, apart from just being his friend, is that's all he has. From his he doesn't life, have much yeah. at all. I do buy that argument. But I've also seen gay men marry marry women just, you know, because they needed a beard. There is that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only only other thing I'll say about that is that Steve's decision to go back in time is, in my opinion, a little bit fucked up, if only because that's a solid 60 years where either he decides to change that timeline drastically 
Or he just ignores a lot of random comments about what's going on in the world. It's like, oh my god, JFK just got assassinated. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my god, there's some, we invented a nuclear bomb. Oh, that's weird, yeah. <laughs> Did Disney own Marvel by this time? In 2014? I think by this point, yes. I think it was around when Avengers 1 came out. I don't understand why they didn't didn't get rid of uh, the Winter Soldier's hypnosis with True Love's Kiss from Steve. I don't understand that. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Okay, I'll drop it. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're good. No, I I get that the whole whole Steve Bucky thing is actually something that it's, 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 it's a very common ship you know yeah. online so like yeah. a lot of people feel the way you feel is and i do think that it is actually worth discussing all i'm asking now that we're in this multiple universe thing this multiverse is that there is a five minute scene where they go into one of the universes and bucky and steve are this older couple you know, they're these two old queens <laughs> sitting together, and they're vicious. They're just vicious. That's all I want. Maybe you know, a peck on the cheek. As far as the multiverse thing goes, like, sure. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. up for anything being true in the multiverse. It's like, yeah, there could be absolutely a universe where they, where they, just, oh, they yeah. just kind of get together. And they're just, they're just like, they're just like gossiping, you know, yeah. sitting on the front porch, drinking oh Arnold Palmer's and, you <laughs> know, like, so whatever. <laughs> just, just sitting on the front porch, the old hound dog, you know, yeah. drinking lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the new hero pops out of a time portal or something, and they're both just like completely unfazed. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> that would be so great. Remember when we used to do stuff like that, honey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now you we know, sip I, our I usually don't spend a lot of time talking about the costuming in these movies, but I just gotta say that this movie features probably my two favorite super suits by Captain America specifically. Like the one he has at the beginning of this movie is fucking awesome and probably my overall favorite of his. But actually, right. the first Avenger suit, which he wears during the climax, is also pretty badass. Yeah, it's like it is. The I honestly I like these like I don't mind the ones that he wears in the Avengers movies. You know, those are a little more of the classic red, white, and blue. But, like, I think these suits are just cool. You know? Yeah. There's a functionality to these suits that I really enjoy, especially the first Avengers suit. Um, it does... I always liked the idea in the first Avengers that they looked at, you know, the suit that he had on stage, you know, the super classic Captain America outfit. And they decided, it's like, all right, because... You did that, and we're still trying to inspire people. We'll try and keep as much of that design as possible while integrating it with an actual functional outfit. And I love the tons of functional touches to that classic uh, first Avenger suit. And loved it in the first film, loved it in this one. And you're right. His other suit, I like how... I just love the sleekness of it. It's just a really solid design. But also, I like how much it says about what S.H.I.E.L.D. is as an organization, it's like, all right, so it's going to be much more muted. It's going to be a little more threatening, honestly. So I also do really enjoy in the climax uh, when Steve does kind of give that speech to all the, the S.H.I.E.L.D.s and also, also HYDRA agents in the Triskelion. It's a good, like... 
strangely understated, but also inspiring kind of big damn hero speech. And I, I like seeing, you know, the, the agents like that one technician who is afraid for his life, but is is also inspired enough to, to you know, t- take that principled stand of I'm not going to watch the helicarriers and everything. Like, I, th- I think it's it, it's it's showing like the, the kind of small moments of heroism, which is something I always enjoy. I actually feel conflicted about that speech, if only because... I really wish we had gotten earlier in the film. There's maybe one scene um, where we have people that's like, I don't feel great about chasing Captain America. I wish we'd gotten a little more of the idea that people had, that people other than Cap had reservations about the whole insight thing. That it's not just that we're facing Captain America. It's like, you know, this does sound a little off, if only because... They did eventually agree to go after him. And when he comes back and gives this speech, he doesn't present any proof at (laughs) all for what he's saying. Honestly, that speech should have been and could easily have been countered by Pierce saying, oh, my God, he's gone insane and he's just seeing Hydra everywhere. The World Council immediately believing him, everyone immediately believing him based on nothing at all. I get why. It's so that the end of the movie can happen and we can have this big, awesome fight. That's why they accept it. I just didn't buy it personally, but I get it. I get it. I I get that argument, and I think that that's a fair argument. I bought it personally, but I I think that it kind of goes down to, you know, in-universe, the the reverence that people have for Captain America as a symbol and as as this kind of figure. So I I think that I bought it, but I also completely understand that particular uh, nitpick, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think it's a good argument. I think it I think it does stand true. Um, he didn't have any evidence and he and he was arguing. But at this point in MCU, they were still they were still flat comic book movies, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. They were they were rounding yeah. them out with this movie. Don't get me wrong. They were rounding them out. Yeah, This movie did a fantastic job of making it, you know, much more complex and thoughtful. Yes, but they had they had a lot of yes. different, uh, more complex storylines in this movie than they usually have in the and the MCU thus far. But it was a superhero speech to get to the next part of the superhero movie. It is a really fun climax overall. I like that there's these different kind of aspects of it. You know, again, Fury's Return, which I kind of touched on earlier. Yeah. Sam Wilson, his whole thing of, you know, the there's interesting kind of like literal layers to it. There, there's a lot of like kind of verticality to, you know, the overall like kind of battle sequence that there's parts of it that take place up in the air. There's parts of it that take place in the building and different floors of the building. But they do a really good job of shooting it where you can still understand the geography of everything that's going on. And mm. it, it's just it's just good filmmaking in that yeah. regard because it's it's easy to get lost in in a complicated sequence like yeah. this. I feel absolutely. No, I absolutely agree. Um, they used all of the characters in the best possible roles for um for each of them in the scene as well, really letting everyone stand out. I loved that moment uh, when Black Widow reveals that she's the Security Council member, if only because for like a half second. I was like, oh, wow, that security council member has got some moves. I'm like, no, oh, no, she's not good. That makes much more sense. Everybody always thinks that the first time uh, <laughs> you see the movie, when, when the, yeah, Jenny Gutter's character, you know, the British uh, representative from the World Security Council, is like, oh, wow, I guess she's a super spy, too. Way to go, lady. Oh, no, it's, it's, right. it's Natasha. It's all right. That, I, actually, that makes sense, but it's still just like, <laughs> 
But it, it is it is kind of a great moment, you know, because like I, I've also heard people say, you know, I kind of wish it had just been that lady, just just for no reason, <laughs> just like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, that that's Sorry. a really great, really fun moment. Like I like Sam going up against uh, um, uh, Brumlow as well. Uh, who oh, was I, like, I, it, I just we kinda, love his. You know, crazy fascistic speech. It's like, oh, life is pain. And Sam's like, no, we're not doing that. No, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they have to catch uh, Sam, like when he, when he jumps out the, 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 the you know, the, the window of the building is like, no, the very first floor is like, well, it's not like they paint the, the floor numbers on the outside of the building. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> You know, it's a lot, a lot of good, you know, kind of one-liners in this as well. So, yeah, j- just overall fun climax. And then this confrontation between Steve and Bucky, where Steve is trying to save Bucky the whole time and refuses to fight his friend, really, at the, at the end. I think, it's, I think it's just really powerful, you know, as the, as the helicarriers are destroying each other. I think it's just overall really powerful scene. It is. It is. And that moment where he's, like, talking sweet nothings to him and he's got that black eye and he's like no Bucky don't hit me don't hit me Bucky you don't hit me with your fists don't hit me with your fists come on come on come on you know what you want to do you know (laughs) (laughs) that's the point where he should have laid that kiss on him the kiss of true love would have woke him up but it was the words of true love I mean come on we're making movies let's do images I do want to. I do have both a serious and a uh, silly thing to say. Serious thing is that I genuinely like that. Uh, it's a, it's a genuinely very touching it moment. It really um, is. It is. You know, everything he says just rings. It's because they're it, soulmates. It's a fantastic way for the character yeah. to go. It's basically he doesn't want to let Bucky go, and he's willing to give up. You know what little he yeah. has just to make sure that Bucky comes back. That's one of his biggest regrets that he ever had yeah. um, from the first film. He's lost so much; he's not going to lose that too. And he feels responsible. And the other thing is that while the fight scene is also fantastic, I do kind of find it hilarious when. Steve is, you know, rapping, you know, manages to get Bucky in the chokehold and says, drop it, drop it. He's like, oh, I've had to do that with a dog so many times. It's like, drop no, it. drop it, drop it. Drop that. What's in your mouth? Open your mouth. Get it? What? No, no, get that out of your mouth. Drop it. Bucky, drop it. <laughs> you know, I, I guess if I'm going to, like, throw in, like, another, uh, just, like, minor nitpick towards the movie, it, it is just more of a question. Like, I've always just been a little bit confused by Project Insight as the plan of Hydra at the end of this movie. Are they really just about to go, like, just bomb a bunch of just, like, random people with the population who are, like, dangerous and say, it's like, oh, how do we, like, explain the fact that all these people just fucking got bobbed, like, in precision strikes out of nowhere? It's I like- think the idea is that anyone who would complain about uh, Hydra launching a precision strike against everyone was in that precision strike. <laughs> <laughs> Man, who's left? Just people who don't question that a bunch of fucking bombs just, just, just nuked up. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, <laughs> let me let me give this argument, and if if it doesn't work, it's okay. You can tell me it doesn't work. But Hydra was Nazis, and they tried to kill ten million people. So you know, right? Without being questioned, 
Oh, yeah. They're in these camps, and it's great. They sing and dance and everything. It's the same people. It's the same thoughts. It's like, let's just blow up all these people. They're in our way. They're Nazis trying to do what Nazis do. <laughs> you know, kill all the inconvenient people in the world. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, instead of rounding them up into camps for extermination, we're just, we're just let's just bomb them from the sky. Yeah. Just, just, just cut yeah. out. Just cut out the middleman. <laughs> <Yeah>. Whatever. <laughs> I do. Hydra. I do wonder uh, what what Stephen Strange uh, had done at this point because I feel like at this point in the timeline Stephen Strange is still just a surgeon. So it's just like, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was that was a weird name drop in hindsight. You <laughs> know, like <laughs> I feel like in some ways, you know, they did mention they're going off of people's profiles, and I got to assume that of the millions of people they targeted. Not all of them can be literally dangerous people, but are just people that are inconvenient or that they don't want or that they feel might react poorly if Hydra decided they were going to take over the world. You know, um, okay, you I, know, I will say like this. a really broad list. I actually buy that Stephen Strange possibly could be on the list even before becoming a sorcerer. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that Jasper Sitwell would specifically single him out among the millions of other people on the list. I think that that's more what bothers me about it, but... <laughs> My belief on that is that Sitwell actually put him on the list because Stephen Strange gave him a very bad nose job one time. <laughs> you botched my ep- appendectomy one time. <laughs> you know, he, he was just like extremely curt to him during recovery yeah. and he just took that very personally and put him on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just removing my appendix, you remove my appendix, but put somebody else's appendix in me, which is not something that you need to do. Like, why would you do that? Like, what? <laughs> well, I'm a great surgeon. Now, now you have a working appendix. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't it's need just, it. It's rude. Like- I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> You also charged me way more for it. Now, fuck it, you're going on the list. Uh, well, this, never mind, don't worry I about it. I think they wanted to find a way to drop the name to see if there was any interest, because, you know, two years later the no, movie and, would come out. And to be honest, but, I remember watching this yeah. for the first time and being really excited to hear that name drop. I was like, ooh, yeah. Doctor Strange, we're setting up Doctor Strange. But it's one of those things like... After the fact, yes, it's like wait, that actually doesn't really make any why, sense. Why like, would they mention <laughs> Stephen Strange? It's it's like when you talk to your dog and your dog only gets a couple of words. You're like, huh? Treats outside yeah. walk. Hmm? <laughs> Stephen Strange. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're kind of getting into the epilogue. I think it's hilarious that uh, Nick Fury's tombstone has the uh, Bible quote from Pulp Fiction from from Sam Jackson's character from yes. Pulp Fiction on it. It's like the path of the right. righteous man is beset on all <laughs> that so, like so whatever it purpose. is. Like <laughs> no, it, it's it's a definite Easter egg. Yeah, for Pulp Fiction fans for sure, yeah. but. It is, it is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Uh, you know, just Nick Fury's weird descent from, uh, from uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of a security uh, spy department director to just kind of a, a bridge hobo, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I have to become a hobo now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am just some guy with a certain amount of skills. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I kind of like that, you know, Sam has become enough of a bro to see at this point. It's like, yeah, I don't have to go on this mission, but I want to, you know, like, let's, let's go, let's go find your, let's go find your twink boyfriend. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> searching for the one arm twink. <laughs> I'm down for that Captain America movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that that one was for you, Liz. <laughs> yeah. I, I do love how, you know, Brian Dye is, and it also kind of tells where Sam is at the moment. There's like, yeah, Sam doesn't have, you know, too much going on in his life yeah, either. No. But- <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, we have two credit scenes. We have one uh, that kind of sets up Age of Ultron, where we see Baron Strucker, and we are uh, introduced uh, to Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, you know, in their their particular cells, you know. So we, we get the introduction of those two characters. And then one where Bucky is kind of investigating his past and kind of going to that, that museum exhibit that Cap went to earlier in the movie. Uh, any particular thoughts on either of these credit scenes? They were okay um, at the time. The Strucker one, I'm not sure whether or not I like the fact that he was not used more um, in uh, Age of Ultron. I kind of, he's a character who the minute you look at him, it's like, ah, evil Nazi, right? Okay. He lacks any and all subtlety. (laughs) Yes. So it's probably just as well that he was just the introductory very obvious villain yeah. um, in Age of Ultron for them to take down. Um, I did like the reveal then of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And I don't know, I, in some ways, I kind of wish that Quicksilver's hint that something was off of the speed that he was having trouble adjusting to it, that that had come through. But I liked his personality in Age of Ultron anyways. And Scarlet Witch, we did actually fully get that version of Scarlet Witch, the extremely powerful and slightly creepy version of Wanda. Uh, we got that several times. It was like, okay, you know, that followed through. That carried through perfectly fine. And then, of course, the second scene, it's just nice to know that Bucky is interested in figuring out about his past. But was it necessary? No, but it's a nice touch. I am truly sad that it wasn't Evan Peters that played Quicksilver in the MCU. I'm just going to put that out there. That's just my complaint. I think he wore the role better. But he was sillier than than what they were going for in the MCU, so I give you that. But yeah, the the evil Monopoly guy, <laughs> he was pretty funny. <laughs> I will show you. Follow me. The twins are at Boardwalk and Park Place. We'll meet them now. <laughs> <laughs> It was a fun scene. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll get into Quicksilver again when we, we review Age of Ultron. Yeah. I think for myself, I, I, I like both versions of Quicksilver, but I think it was necessary to have a different actor just to differentiate that these are two different versions yeah. in two different universes. So I I, th- I think that it would have actually added to the confusion uh, if the, if they had had the same actor play him in in, sure. in, in these different franchises I personally. And I, I actually like Aaron Taylor Johnson in the role. I think I, like, I, I do actually prefer the Evan Peter's version, but it's it's more the writing, I think, than than the acting, to, yeah. to be honest, more than anything else. But but I, I I do like the MCU's version of Quicksilver as well. As far as like him finding it hard to control his speed, I think that that was kind of twofold. It was a just to reveal to the audience what his power is, and maybe to kind of right. indicate that this is a little bit earlier on that he's still kind of figuring out mm-hmm. how to use his abilities, right. and that by the time we get to Age of Ultron, he's kind of gotten the hang of it. I that was kind of more my feeling about it. I get that. I get that. It's it's one of those things where I do still wish we saw more of that, but I also fully get how he got to the point of it's like okay it has been some time you know as Strucker said they did feed them other versions of Hydra so they had they had they had a decent amount of buffer time before the Avengers finally showed up 
I can buy that he, you know, got that fully under control in the meantime. I will say, I'm glad they're starting to do these these epilogues again. I'm glad they're starting to do these mid and post credit scenes because I looked forward to that because they were telling me they were telling me this this a plot that was happening and it kept me informed about where we were going and it gave me something to research. You know, I didn't know who the evil monopoly guy was. I was like, what the fuck is this? And I researched it after the movie. It just gives me more. I hate it. And I understand in game. They were like, okay, we're done. We're taking a break. Let's, let's drop it. But for a while, they, they didn't give us these scenes. And I think that these end credit scenes are integral to the art form that has become MCU. I know. I don't think they ever, other than Endgame, I don't think they ever really stopped doing it. They, there, there were times where they would only do one or the other. Like, they would only do a mid-credits yeah. or an end-credits, or they wouldn't do both. But I don't think they ever, like, completely, other than, again, Endgame. And I, I, I actually agree with them not doing it in Endgame. Yeah. I think that that was actually one to stop with. But, like, I feel like they've, they've never not done one though as as far as i can remember in, in recent times now several of them have been more throwaway and just haven't yes. really led to anything and that's my i complaint. think that that's more what is yeah that's my complaint the newer ones are throwaway yeah i did love the old uh homecoming i'm not i think there was another credit scene but that didn't amount to much it was basically like oh scorpion's here this is gonna come back and then the other one, which was just a fantastic throw, is like, you know, sometimes you patience is a hard thing. You know, sometimes you wait and wait and you feel like you're never going to get a yes. payoff. No, that that's yep. actually that's actually probably my favorite, like, comedic post credit scene. I say that maybe shawarma. Like, those are probably my favorite, like, more comedic post credit scenes because, like, I just love yeah. how self-referential it was. Like, you guys are waiting and waiting and waiting and no, nothing. You know? I was like, I, I actually thought that was great. I, I, I love the, the one in Dr. Strange. Strange and the multiverse of madness with Bruce Campbell, where where he stopped punching himself and he goes, "Oh, it's over." <laughs> that one was good. That one was actually good. But yeah, I mean, as far as these credit scenes go, I I think that the the Strucker one I think is a little awkward just because I feel like they're just jamming a lot of like random exposition into like yeah. a really short credit scene. I I think that the yeah. credit scenes right. that are a little more minimalist are the ones that for me work a little bit better. I actually prefer the Bucky one over the first one. I actually like the Bucky one because to me I actually do think it's it's kind of necessary because it does show not only is he starting to remember Steve but he's starting to take more of an interest in who he was yeah. as a person and he's he's trying to piece together his old life like it's one of those things like it's, it's no dialogue but I, I think that that's what makes it kind of effective is, is it's just Sebastian Sam's performance and him just trying to him trying to get away from being the Winter Soldier and learn how to become Bucky again which I do think is is an important part of his overall arc so I, I actually really like the, the post post credit scene in this movie I guess what I'm actually trying to say is since Loki I have been interested in them giving me glimpses of Kang the Conqueror and I know I won't get that until Ant-Man I I think what what it is was is and, and and I agree with this. They've they've had these these credit scenes and some of them have maybe set up like potential like direct sequels to these characters, but they haven't been doing ones that go towards the overall yes. story arc. And it, it does kind of feel like there hasn't really been much of an overall story arc. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking maybe with Ant Man, uh, Quantum Mania, that that might turn around. They might start to have a little more of a direction again. I hope so. Because lately, the multiverse has kind of been the 
theme of this phase, but there hasn't really been a, a kind of a, a cohesive narrative about the multiverse. It's just there's different things happening with the multiverse. And in some movies, it, do, it doesn't even tie into that at all. Like Black Panther, yeah. I, I really like Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but that movie doesn't tie into the multiverse at all. It's just its own thing. You know, and there's a couple yep. other examples. So I get where you're coming from, but I also think that now that we're post-Endgame, there, there's a certain level where they can afford to, to kind of have things be sort of less connected and just yeah. say, like, these are just kind of the continuing adventures of the MCU type of thing. They're going into two different setups, and I think yeah. it's important to have these in-credit scenes so that we know what's going into which setup. You know, sure. we have the New World sure. Order coming out, and then we also have uh, the multiverse setup. And I'd like to know yeah. what's going and what. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. There, it does feel like th- these early MCU phases felt like they were building towards something more specific than what we're kind of dealing with yeah. now in kind of post-end game. So I totally get that. But I feel like we're ready to go into our overall thoughts and our score of 1 yes. out of 10. And Zach, I'll go ahead and let you start with this one. So overall, this movie is more thoughtful. Um, certainly much more complex, has a very different tone from where the rest of the MCU was at this point. It does a good job of showing that this universe has started to achieve a certain level of complexity. It's, in my opinion, a much more successful film than the first Captain America. Him being out of time and dealing with that, you know, dealing with the depression of it, the lack of connection, the changing structures, you know, everything that he fought for, becoming something horrible. That's all, frankly, what I find more interesting about Captain America as a character, and this movie capitalizes on that very well, in my opinion. Um, It is, in many ways, still, you know, kind of a classic superhero film, um, while also being a spy thriller. Uh, There's parts of it that, you know, you just kind of have to accept as classic superhero tropes. But overall... Ultimately, a very fun, um, very engaging film the whole way through. I've definitely got to give this one an 8 out of 10. It's my favorite uh, Captain America movie. I think being an ensemble cast really makes it, for me, Captain America, and I'm not saying this to offend people, I'm just saying that I have a pea brain. For me, Captain America is not interesting enough to keep up with. Um, you have this glorious gay love story and you ignore it. I'd be into it then, but you know, but this one, it's, it's this spy movie with superheroes and, and I feel like it's fucking awesome. You know, um, you have this, this superhero surrounded by these team, uh, this team of spies who've been doing it for a long time and who have mastered the art of spy, you know, uh, the the one-liners, the dialogue, I think it's well-written, well-executed. I think at this point in MCU, it's one of their best movies at this point in 2014. Um, so I, I say that. It has its quirks. It has its quirks. But for this one, I was like, it's a superhero movie. It's fun. 
I, I enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to have to agree with you, Zach. I give it an 8 out of 10. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go big for this one. I, I honestly think that this is one of the best films of the, of the entire MCU. I think, I think it straight up is one of the best movies in the entire universe. I think that in terms of the filmmaking, I think in terms of the writing, it's a really smart movie. Even the parts of it that don't really hold up to close scrutiny, I think that there's a self-awareness about that and just kind of a thing of like, we could fix this, but it would slow the pace of the movie down too much or it would just get bogged down too much and that's why I ultimately am easily able to look past you know those little flaws in in the the storytelling because I don't think it's carelessness I think that they just chose to streamline it in in, in for, for the favor of uh, overall still being a, a fast moving and and fun film that that slows down in the parts where it needs to slow down which is you know giving the necessary exposition and developing these characters and I think that the characters are developed in a big way. I I used to not be a, a, as big of a Captain America fan like you, Liz, but I, I think that this movie was a big part of what really made me start to really actually like him in this universe. I do think he absolutely can carry a movie for sure. And I think he does carry this movie, but it is also an ensemble cast. You also do have Black Widow and Nick Fury and these other characters in there to kind of round out sort of the team. Sam Wilson, of course, to kind of round out the team. But it's still very much... Captain America's movie. I definitely think it's the best of the three Captain America movies in terms of just like it, it, as much as objective quality really exists. And I've I've kind of come to the, the opinion that there's really no such thing as objective quality when it comes to art. But as much as like the filmmaking goes, I think it's the best filmmaking. I'll say that. I think for I, I consider it to be the best filmmaking of the Captain America trilogy. Favorite is close between this and Civil War. I actually do love Civil War, Liz. I know I know you're not a fan of it, but I, I do I do think Civil War really great but to be honest i actually have to give it a 10 out of 10 because i i honestly there really aren't any issues that i have with this movie that i really think you could solve without creating other bigger issues and that's why i actually think that it's the best movie that it really could possibly be with the story that they're telling and i think it's a great story and i think the execution of this movie is just so well done it pulls me in every single time and i do think it's an absolute top tier i put this absolute a list top tier uh, as far as the mcu goes so it is absolutely a 10 out of 10 for me all right, having said all of that, Zach, where can the folks find you? Folks can find me on the Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on what remains of Twitter and also Instagram as Zachariah Schneider 4. That's Zachariah, S-C-H-N-E-4. And they can check out my personal site, uh, Zachariah-Schneider-Personal.HerokuApp.com. H-E-R-O-K-U app. Dot com. Liz, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me on all social media under the Liz Tory L Y Z T O R Y. I have upcoming. I have a contract for the whole year with the Pack Theater. I will be bringing in national headliners and uh, be showing off some. Uh, underused stand-up comedians with the national headliners and that's called the non-binary preacher's kid presents uh so look out for that as well all right i'm sam wilson you could follow me on instagram at sc wilson underscore actor you can follow my band gas station boner pills at the band of boners on instagram or just under gas station boner pills on facebook or just listen to our music on spotify or apple music just search gas station boner pills and we'll come right up and you can follow nerd shit at the nerd shit pod on all social medias facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at the nerd shit pod we release episodes every single week make sure that you're subscribed to us 
anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're on all platforms. Make sure you leave us a review and a star rating. Make sure you stay tuned for next week. We're going to be reviewing the Willow TV show, which just recently concluded on uh, Disney+. Plus. Willow, the television series, we've already reviewed the movie, so you can go back and listen to our review of the movie, and then tune in next week to hear our review of the television series. For Zach Schneider and Liz Torrey, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. New Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.